Good morning, friends. Glad you're here. Maybe it's almost afternoon. Uh, it stopped raining. I saw a church sign a couple weeks ago that said, whoever's praying, stop. I left my house this morning. My wife and I live out on the west side, and um, I left fairly early at about a quarter after five, and it was a torrential downpour from the time I left my house, really till I got to Webb Road, and then I'm coming off Web Road here, and then my phone goes off. You know, you, you hear the buzzer, and it, you think it's the flash flood warning or something, but it was, um, take cover, tornado warning in your area. <laughs> and so I didn't speed, but I set cruise control 40, and I came into the building, but apparently it was down in Wellington and that area, so... I'm safe and I'm glad to be here this morning because it was a good reminder. Uh, the text that was ever upon me was, do not worry. And here I have a tornado warning on my phone. So um, today our text is um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. I'm going to read these out loud. I'm uh, using an NASB translation in the event that you are following along in your own Bible. Listen to the words of Jesus. For this reason I say to you, Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, is clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this text. It's a reminder, Lord, to us in our worry-filled lives that this world is broken, that it's cursed, God, and we struggle in this curse. We worry. And so now, Father, by the power of your Spirit, open us to the words of your Son that today we might find consolation and we might find hope for those things that make us anxious. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. On February 28, 1944, a Dutch informant had notified the Nazis of the work of Corrie ten Boom and her family. If you're not familiar, Corrie ten Boom was the youngest child of Caspar and Cornelia ten Boom. They were devout Christians in the Dutch Reformed Church, and their faith in Jesus was evident as they spent a lot of their lives just helping those in need, whether they were poor or disabled, and as we'll find out, the Jews who were hiding. 
In the late or the mid-1920s, early 30s, Corey herself had started a youth club for teenage girls. And this club provided uh, instruction in religion, performing arts, sewing, and crafts. Well, in, the 19, in 1940, the Nazis had invaded the Netherlands and began their restrictions in that company. And one of those restrictions is that they, be, they banned Corrie ten Boom's club. Two years later, in 1942, a woman showed up at the door of Caspar ten Boom, Corrie's father. She was a Jewish woman. Her husband, a few months earlier, had been arrested and her son was in hiding. The woman had heard of how the, the Tin Boom's Jewish neighbors had been helped by them, and she wanted to be helped too. And so, of course, Casper Tin Boom didn't think twice about it, and now the Tin Boom family became participants in the Dutch underground. They hid refugees in what became known as the hiding place. Corey and her sister Betsy also opened their home to refugees, which were Jewish folks and members of the resistance movement at that time. Well, on that fateful day in 1944, the whole Tin Boom family was arrested, and 10 days later, Corey's father, Casper, died. Shortly thereafter, Corey was put in solitary confinement, awaiting trial. She went to trial, and she and her sister were sent to two concentration camps, one political, and the other one just a woman's labor camp. Unfortunately, that same year, Betsy Corey's sister died in the concentration camp. And 15 days after Betsy's death, Corey was released. Corey had learned a week later that all the women her age were sent to the gas chamber. And then she learned a little bit after that that the reason she was released was due to a clerical error. She returned to the work that she began. She was a woman who helped the mentally disabled. And there's a lot that could be said about this woman's life, but let me just fast forward. In 1977, she migrated to California where she spent her final days. She died in 1983, but spent her last two years at a church in Fullerton, California. And as her pastor was recalling her last days, he reminded his congregation of her own words. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. The beauty of being able to preach three sermons is I had a woman in our last service who came to me and said she had met Corey Tin Boom. And she said Corey had told her, even in light of this quote, that Corey says, the Lord has cast all our worries into the ocean. And she says, but I have a trouble. I keep fishing over there. Brothers and sisters, worry and anxiety is debilitating. It's paralyzing. It hinders our faith. It saps the life in us that Jesus gives to us through the Spirit, and it cripples the mission of the church. All of us, to some degree, have dealt with or are dealing with worry and anxiety, and I know some of you in here deal with it chronically. And so my hope for you today is not to hear me dump a heap of shame on you for the struggle, for I do recognize it as a struggle, but rather that the grace given you by the Holy Spirit, that you would hear Jesus' words today and that you would find consolation and hope that Jesus does have the power to release you from the grip 
of anxiety and worry. And that even if just today he gives you enough strength, then it would be just to love him and to serve him. And so in this passage today, I want you to hear three things. This is three things as I poured over the text, I think I hear Jesus saying. The first thing he says, don't worry because you are loved. The second thing he says, do not worry because it leads to death. And thirdly, he says, do not worry because your Father in heaven knows what you need. And so there in verse 25, Jesus starts by saying, for this reason, or therefore, I say to you. Now, I'm not preaching on the previous text, but I want to give us some context here really quickly. When Jesus says, for this reason, he's connecting his command, which is about to come, do not worry, to his previous statement, which is, you can't serve God in mammon. No one can serve two masters. So in this section of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, at which this issue on worry, I think, starts in verse 19, I think Jesus is contrasting how the things of this world, in verse 19, it is storing up your treasures on earth, and then in this section, it's the things that are necessary, food, water, and clothing. Those things actually can become a hindrance to our faith. Okay, I think the previous section, verse 19, don't store up things on earth, is actually, he's talking to the rich. Remember, they're on a mountainside and Jesus is giving this big sermon, his most important or famous sermon, at least. And so I'm guessing there's a lot of poor, but there are some rich. And that's why Jesus says, don't store up your treasures on earth. Okay, because there's probably a few rich among them. Poor people don't store things up. Okay, and so then it was, that was likely a warning to the rich, and this text that we're dealing with today is likely Jesus' admonition to the poor because these are the people who are worried about the basics of life, okay? Food and drink and clothing. The rich, your temptation is to trust in your possessions. For the poor, the temptation is to doubt God's goodness that he would actually provide for you of your most basic needs. So what does this make of us? 21st century American Christians. When was the last time you prayed for God to give you food or drink or clothing? We have no need because all of our, our needs are met in that way. Many of us do not only store up treasures on earth, we try to keep them and hoard them. And so for us as 21st century Western Americans, even the poorest among us, relative to the world's poverty, are some of the richest. And not only that, we live in a culture that lives at such a rapid pace. We live in what I like to call functional atheism. We live in a culture devoid of meaning. We live self-centered, hyper-individualistic lifestyles. And so you put all these things together, and there's a perfect storm for the wind and the waves of worry and anxiety to wreak havoc on us, and they are. Friends, if anybody needs to hear the words of Jesus regarding worry, it's the church in America. It's us. We're not worrying about bare essentials. We're worrying about everything, everything outside of our control. And so I hear in this first section Jesus saying, do not worry because I love you. Do not worry because the Father loves you. And so when Jesus says this, he points to a bird. He's on the mountainside. I'm guessing he might have been able to just point at a bird. And he says, look at those birds. They don't do the things that we're able to do. Gather food, store it up, build barn houses, and put more in it. They don't do that. Yet every day, the Father 
not nature. The Father cares for the birds. The Father feeds the birds. The birds don't do it on their own. It is God who put within them the nature that causes them to fly around and to go seek. And it's God who provides for the birds. Are you not much of much more value than they are? Friends, I have observed over the years that many of us have difficulty knowing that we are loved and valued by God. And the reasons for this are numerous. You might have come from a family where there wasn't much warmth or affection. Maybe your parents didn't tell you they loved you or your brothers and sisters didn't. Perhaps you remember something that a middle schooler told you. That little booger-nosed boy who told you that you girls were not pretty. Or perhaps you had a friend who said something behind your back. And all you can think of is how unlovely you are. And I know that all of us is aware of our sin. Who of us in here isn't embarrassed and ashamed of the things that we have done in our past that make us feel unlovely and feel unworthy of God's love for us? Jesus wants us to remember, friends, you are of more value than the birds. You are loved by your Father in heaven. And to be loved by the Father is our first line of defense against worry. At least two times I can recall in the life of Jesus where from heaven... What does the father say in his baptism? What does the father say of his son at the transfiguration? This is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Because you and I are in Christ, the father is pleased with us. And that's difficult for us to receive, but it's true. I remember years ago, when I was a young man, I'm starting to have to say that, so as probably 20, 21, or 22, mom had sent me a birthday card. Now, mom sends birthday cards, so this isn't anything out of the ordinary. What was out of the ordinary is that my dad wrote on the birthday card, okay? My dad was a man of few words, unless he was my third base coach, okay? <laughs> always yelling at me, always telling me choke up, always telling me scoot up to the plate, And I remember, I don't even need the card. I'm not one for keepsakes, but I just remember where it was on the left side of the card, right in the middle. It said, I'm proud to call you my son. I'm 40 years old and those words still stick with me. Back in March, Pastor Stan in January had asked me if I would do the Ash Wednesday service. Um, He was doing his preaching schedule and I said, sure. And uh, that Wednesday was actually a day Pastor Stan had to fly out to Phoenix to be with his dad. And so he came to the service, and the service ended at, it started at noon and ended at one. And I received a text from Pastor Stan later that day, and I still have it on my phone. I actually screenshotted it because it's a source of encouragement to me. It says, good job today. I am proud of you, son. So I have my earthly and biological father declaring his love for me. I have a spiritual father here in the church declaring his love for me. I am a man with very little worries because I know of the love of my heavenly father. And the heavenly father has shown me his love by way of the church. And so church, you need to hear this today. The person next to you most likely struggles with worry and anxiety. Our obligation as brothers and sisters to one another is to declare our love for each other so that we can have a visible and physical manifestation of the love of the Father 
Because that's how we combat worry. I know it's difficult, but that's how we do it. And so we need to hear Jesus saying, do not worry because the Father loves you. Do not worry because you are of more value than the birds. John tells us this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We need to love each other well so that we can experience the love that the Father has given and promises us through Christ. I have it, it's mine, but sometimes my faith is weak and sometimes I need you to remind me. And I need to remind you. Second thing we hear, this is the hard one. Do not worry because it leads to death. Jesus says, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? In this section, Jesus reminds us that worry leads to death. His rhetorical question right there that I just quoted is actually intended to help us to draw a conclusion. Did worry ever solve anything? Did it worry ever make your life better? A Harvard study shows us that people who live with a high state of anxiety are actually four and a half times more likely to suffer from sudden cardiac death than non-anxious individuals. Not only do, does worry lead to death, but it actually diminishes the quality of life and the joy that Jesus wants to give us. In his book, How to Win Over Worry, the author John Edmund Haggai shares the story of a woman who worried for 40 years that she would die of cancer. She died when she was 70 of pneumonia. What do you think her life was like for those 40 years? Fred Berry, in the last sermon, for those of you who know him, he came up to me and he had pondered and he had said Abraham Lincoln had either a writing in his office, in the Oval Office somewhere, that said, in my life I have had many troubles, most of them never coming to pass. Research indicates that 85% of the things that we actually worry ourselves with do not come to pass. The worrier fools him or herself into thinking that these things will come to pass and then becomes consumed by them, seeking to control them. There is constant fear and constant worry resulting in greater frustration and irritability with others. It makes you controlling. It makes you manipulative. Simply put, the misery of worry will bring you to death. It will isolate you because it's very difficult to be around somebody who is so worrisome. And this is why I think at the end of the section, Jesus says, you of little faith. This is not a compliment. This is intended to sting us a little bit. He wants us to see worry for what it is. This is what a good father does. He tells you the truth about your worry so that you can do the right thing with it. And we need to hear that worry is in fact a sin. The sin that Christ died for. Why is it a sin? It's an affront on God's goodness. It's a denial that he cares for you. Worrying is saying to God, I don't trust you with my life. I don't believe you love me. I don't believe you care for me. This is what worry is. Back in late January, 
right at the beginning of February, I started having these anxious bouts. It's something I'd never experienced before. It was happening at night after we would go to bed. And the first night, my heart just started racing. And um, it was very unsettling. Um, at the time, most mornings I, I, I swim because I like to eat food. And so I thought, okay, so I just stood up and I walked around the room, around the house, as quietly as I could because my wife sleeps like a mouse. She can hear a mouse running around. She sleeps very lightly. And so I just thought, all right, Lord, let's put this to rest. Well, it was about two hours later. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, just, I just figured out I'm just, I can't sleep. Well, that was happening, like I said, two to four nights a week. Anxiety. I was like, this is anxiety. Uh, I felt a little embarrassed because I never, I never experienced it before. I'm not the worrying type. My wife would tell you that. She would confirm that. She tells the truth. Um, but I was dealing with this, and I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And I did learn through that bout that anxiety is not something I know that those of you who deal with it actually choose. I'm not saying you choose anxiety, so don't hear me saying that today. But for those of you who are really dealing with chronic anxiety and anybody who's dealing with anxiety in any form, what I did learn is that you actually have a choice as to how you will deal with it. This is our call as believers, as those who have been loved by Jesus, for those who have Jesus whom he has died for us. We have a responsibility and obligation to maybe not figure out. I never figured out what was making me anxious, even as I was talking to my wife um, this was a time when our kids were sick. Maybe I was internalizing some stress. I don't know. I don't have the answers. Okay? But I do know that I didn't want to worry about it, and that's what I was doing. And what that worry does, since the anxiety was the emotion that I didn't choose, but I understood that worry was a sin, this is why we have to call worry for what it is, then I knew that I wanted to be faithful to Jesus, and I wanted to do what he wanted me to do. And so I just began to pray. I don't know if the Lord was answering a prayer a year ago where I said I would like my prayer life to amp up. And we're going to find out here that God purposes in a moment our troubles. He brings certain things to pass in our life for purposes that I don't always understand or know. I just remember I prayed a lot more that month than I usually do. I recently read a book by the philosopher and theologian J.P. Moreland. I had read him years ago in the late 1999, 2000s. He was a guy I really enjoyed reading. And I came across a book, um, as all you book nerds know, Amazon and Facebook is always putting up books you might read. Well, this was J.P. Moreland, and the book was called Finding Quiet. And what I didn't know, I had seen J.P. Moreland live in about 2008. I enjoyed him, but what I didn't know, in 2003, he was uh, somebody who suffered with generalized anxiety, general anxiety disorder. And I thought, here's this giant of a man, and here he has this struggle with anxiety. And so he taught me that anxiety is a largely a habit that is wired or grooved into your brain and nervous system that becomes activated on certain triggers. And everybody who struggles with anxiety, you say, amen, I understand this man's story. But he said in his book, he's trying to help people because he has seen some deliverance and healing out of his anxiety. 
He says, to minimize or get rid of anxiety, I've learned it's absolutely crucial that one recognizes bad anxiety-producing habits and undertakes a training program that over time rids those bad habits and replaces them with good ones. Let me put those in the words of the Bible. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Bible is very simple, friends. When the Bible commands us to do something, it oftentimes commands us to do something we don't feel like doing and things that we don't want to do. But the Bible is always right. Because when we obey, and what what J.P. Moreland will tell you in his book, he'll talk about the neuroplasticity of your brain and how it's able to be changed. And it's always changed when we look to God's word and do the things that God tells us to do. Every person who works out knows this. You have to put yourself under certain stresses, things you don't want to do in order to get better. And so the Bible here, Paul says rejoice. Paul commands the emotions and the feelings and the affections. Rejoice when you don't feel like it. Don't be anxious. I just got here telling, through telling you that anxiety is, is an emotion. It's not necessarily your decision. But Paul says, command your emotions not to be anxious. I found myself praying a lot when I was anxious because I learned God had something for me in it. King David in Psalm 94 says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Brothers and sisters, if you're anxious, delight your soul with the promises of God, with the goodness of God, with the thought that he loves you and that he has died for you, and that you have a resurrection that's coming where you will be rid of all your worries and anxieties. Brothers and sisters, do not worry because it leads to death. Rather, fight. Fight through obedience to the truth. Submit your members, submit your affections, submit your body to the word of God. Do what God has told you to do and pray that the spirit through the work of Christ would deliver you from your anxiety. Finally, in this last section of verses, I hear Jesus saying, do not worry because your father in heaven knows what you need. Do not worry, saying what will we eat or what will we drink. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm guessing that when Corrie ten Boom had made her statement to her pastor that worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorry, only today of its strength, that she had this verse in mind. What I like about what Jesus says here is he's he's a realist. He doesn't deny that there are troubles. Typically, it's oftentimes a real-life trouble that actually makes us anxious and then draws us into worry, okay? So it's not like all of our anxieties are just irrational. Some of them certainly are, but not all of them. But Jesus experienced the sort of troubles that we go through in this life. If you recall Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's with his friends. He tells his disciples, sit over here while I go pray. And then he grabs Peter, James, and John. And he's, Matthew records, he began to be grieved and distressed. And here's what Jesus says. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Friends, Jesus knows what trouble is. He knows what distress is. And side note, when you feel that way, if our Lord grabbed a couple of friends and said, come with me to be distressed, then you too need to find some friends to be and carry that with you and for you. Friends, Jesus was distressed and he was grieved. In this regard, he knows 
what trouble is. But you know what the good news for you and I is that when Jesus was grieved in distress, he kept his sight set on the will of the Father. He sought the Father's kingdom and the Father's righteousness. And this is why Jesus endured. Jesus knew that the Father would provide for him what he needed at his worst moments in time. And so what I want you to hear today, brothers and sisters, is that the time for a trouble-free life does not come until our resurrection. I can't wait for that day. I long for that day. And having that anxiety back in January, February, caused me to long even more for the day of the resurrection. But the trouble-free life, the worry-free life, is not till then. Until that time, what God has done for those of us who are sons and daughters, in his infinite wisdom, he has actually orchestrated the troubles that we have in our life, the difficulties that we have in our life, for our good and for his glory. And so in verse 32 in that passage, Jesus almost seems in passing to reference the Gentiles. And if you know anything about the Gentiles, that just meant those people who weren't under God's covenantal care. As sons and daughters of the Father, we are under his care. This means that the troubles that we experience in this life actually come by his hand. They come by his sovereign permission. Let me illustrate. In the northeastern United States, codfish is a big thing. I'll try anything if you fry it. I don't know if I've ever had codfish, but I'm down for some fried fish. Catholic Church on Fridays during Lent. That's how I grew up. <clears throat> codfish are a big commercial business. There's a market for this sort of cod, the northeastern cod, all over the United States. The public demand brought um, some problems for the shippers. So what the shippers first did is they froze the cod and then they sent it. And then when it was received by wherever it was shipped, it was losing its flavor. So they went back to the drawing board and what happened uh, is they began to say, all right, well, let's send it into tanks of seawater and we'll put the cod in there and let them live. And so they began to do that. Well, the first problem is that's a lot more expensive. The second problem is that the fish were still losing its, their flavor. And thirdly, they began to lose their texture. They, be, they got mushy. So they didn't like that. So they had to figure out. Well, there was a genius amongst them. I don't know who it was. But they began to throw the codfish natural enemy in, the catfish, with the codfish. So the whole time the fish were being transported to wherever they were going, however far it was, the catfish would chase the codfish all over the sea tank. And so when the codfish arrived, they were just as fresh if they had just caught them off the northeastern coast. Brothers and sisters, in the absence of trouble, you have no need of the Father. Our Father in heaven has put catfish in our lives. These are the things that cause us to be tempted to worry and to be anxious. But because we are his sons and daughters, let me tell you today that your worries and your anxieties, your afflictions serve a purpose. He may not have revealed them to you yet, and he may never. But let me tell you today, friends, you do not need to worry because your Father in heaven 
knows what you need. He knows what you need. And so, beloved, remember this. Do not worry because you are loved by the Father. Do not worry because it leads to death. Do not worry because your Father in heaven knows what you need. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful to be counted among your children. Father, we are yours. We belong to you. And we need to hear this today, Lord, because many among us are afflicted with such worry, anxiety, and doubt. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply the words of Jesus today. Holy Spirit, that you would help us to know that we are loved. Holy Spirit, that you would help us to know that worry is a sin, Lord. Help us to not try and justify it, no matter how anxious we feel, but rather help us to fight against it through obedience. Help us as a church, Lord, to love one another well so that we each can experience the love that you have for us. That love that our Lord Jesus experienced at his baptism and transfiguration where the Father declares his love for his own son. Father, we have access to that love through Jesus and we want to say thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that I know many of us have needs today and I pray that you would provide what you know we need, Lord. No more and no less. Help us to be content with your answers even when they're not what we want, Lord. Help us to trust that even our afflictions and our discomforts, Lord, come by permission of your sovereign hand and they have a purpose. God, you're good. We thank you for this time, Father, where we get to give this offering. Father, you have withheld nothing from us. You have given us your son, Jesus. In him we have life. In him we have resurrection. In him we have hope of the future. But until that day, Lord, you are carrying out your purposes in the world, and we pray that our tithes and offering would meet whatever end you have ordained for them. And so, God, help us to give with an open hand. Help us to give cheerfully and with joy. Bring the gospel to somebody who needs it, Lord, that you might stop their anxious and worrying heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.